watchers in the fourth dimension. I'm your new assistant. Oh no. Jump the wings there. Five rounds rapid. You realize that Britain's going to get the blame for all this? Britain? Or you, Mr. Chim? Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. As we have reached the end of season eight, it is time for another season retrospective. But first, a very quick look at the mail, which is with me this episode. Sean Collicutt wrote to us via email to say, I just wanted to drop you a line to commend your work. I've been an avid listener since discovering your podcast last year. I was amused whilst listening lately that you point out how much of a dick the doctor is sometimes. I really never took much notice over the years, but I must agree with your perspective. However, he is an alien and doesn't sometimes look at things from a human perspective. P.S. Second Doctor and Jamie rule. Well, Sean, you certainly know the way to Julie's heart. (laughs) Yes. We received a little bit of feedback on our episode on The Mind of Evil. J.M. Casey says that he wasn't expecting Riley to come down quite so hard on that particular story. However, J.M. also says that he had a great time listening and then goes on to say that he loves the idea that the Master has been planning all of this for a long time. And he suggests that perhaps from the Master's perspective, this story actually happens before Terror of the Autons and that there could be some timey-wimey shenanigans to make it work. This is something that our old friend Nathan Laws agrees with, who suggests that the Master's plan doesn't actually work unless he has access to a working TARDIS, and that as he doesn't bring up his missing dematerialization circuit until the Doctor does, he's just playing along and then takes the dematerialization circuit back at the end of the story, knowing that he will need it later. Stephen Moffat, eat your goddamn heart out. (laughs) Sean Collicutt also sent us feedback on our bonus episode where we revisited the Web of Fear episode 3, about which he says, this was easily the worst animation yet. Thankfully, only one episode really looks fan-made from the early 2000s, which I think is something that Don basically said when we actually talked about it in that podcast. That sounds like something I would say, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Now, with regards to our episode on the Claws of Axos, Charles Gears, or Gears, sorry, Charles, if I'm mispronouncing your name, emailed us and sent us a link to what he describes as the Bill Filer spinoff that you've always wanted. (laughs) Thank you, Charles. We watched it. We loved it. And for anyone who wants to check it out, we've put the link in the show blurb below. So check that out. It's a little silly and ridiculous. Finally, while we're on the subject of Axos, Chris Wagner left a Facebook comment on that episode that simply said, Capsula. Um, anyone? No? (laughs) Okay. Thank you for that, Chris. We have no idea what it means. And that's it for the mail for now. As a reminder, we love getting your feedback, thoughts, comments, and questions, and we do like to read them out on the show. So please do get in touch. You can contact us through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Watchers4D, or you can email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. With that, we're moving on to our season retrospective. If you haven't listened to us do one of these before, we look back on the season through award-style categories, some of our quantitative measures, and finally, we also take some questions from our social media channels. We will take each item in reverse alphabetical order, so Riley answers first, followed by Julie, then Don, and finally, myself. We will jump right into our first category, which is best and worst stories. Riley, over to you. Best story for me is a toss-up between the Claws of Axos and the Demons. It's really difficult to decide between the two, so I decided to think about it with which one I criticized more looking back. And both had issues with not implementing Joe enough, but I was particularly bothered by Deadly Simpsons music in the Claws of Axos. <laughs> and I didn't really have anything down as any complaints about him and the Demons. Also, the guest character for Claws is Bill Filer. No offense against him, but the Demons has Ms. Hawthorne, so I'm going with the Demons. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. And least favorite? Least favorite is The Mind of Evil. No surprise for me. Too many gunfights, too much mind control, and definitely too much exploitation of the mentally disabled. Uh, (laughs) Barnum got done wrong. And the few things I enjoyed with that were Benton's attempts at a new career. And Joe (laughs) was really good in this one, I think. Yeah, Mind of Evil, that's my least favorite. Okay, Julie, favorite and least favorite. Favorite's easy. It's the demons. 
I love those type of stories. It's not quite horror, but it has just those very interesting things going on. And yes, Miss Hawthorne is amazing. And I was not as offended by Dudley Simpson as the demons. Worst story. I was going to go with the colony in space, but then Riley had to go and remind me about what happened to Barnum. And yes, we're back to the mind of evil. That one's worse. Okay, done. For me, I think maybe the best story overall was probably Claws of Axos in a way it worked. My favorite is The Demons. So those are two very different things I'm going to kind of put in the same area. For worst, I don't think there's a really bad story this season. There are some that I don't like things that happen. Like for me, the worst would probably be Tear of the Autons. Just that it's the one I remember anything about least. And I didn't like what they did to the Auton design. Honestly, Don, I think I'm with you on Terror of the Autons. That's my least favorite story. To me, it's a little incoherent. I love that we get the introduction of the Master, but they really start doing Joe Dirty right from the beginning by almost immediately having her hypnotized and trying to blow everyone up. The Master's plan is incoherent at best, and it just seems like a string of set pieces. So it just doesn't quite work. There's nothing inherently awful about it. It's not like Galaxy 4 or uh, the Space Pirates, but it's just not great. And then my favorite, again, I think I'm going with the consensus here. It's the demons. I think by a country mile, it's the best. Claws of Axos is very, very enjoyable, but the demons just has a certain something about it that just makes it kind of classic. So I'm with the majority on that, but with a special shout out for Axos. Okay, next up, we have best moment and worst moment. Riley. Best moment. Clearly, it is the master being merciful and killing Gooch so that he no longer has to suffer from getting hard-boiled eggs for lunch anymore. <laughs> Nor does anyone around Gooch have to suffer from him having hard-boiled eggs every day. True. All kidding aside, this season really did provide a lot of moments uh, that could be the best moment to me. From some of it that's wonderfully bizarre to something frightening or something funny. I really had so many, it was really difficult, but I want to pick the one that is in the beginning of the colony in space where the doctor and Joe actually have an even conversation that doesn't involve praising or demeaning her. It is the doctor offering her the opportunity to explore the alien planet. And while he may just seem to be a little too pushy, Joe does want to, but she's just scared and the doctor encourages her. It's the first time where you can see that relationship not being so, like I said, like a disciplinarian teacher with a student. It seems kind of on an even kill. They're actually talking to each other. So to have some emotional development between the doctor and the companion just feels really nice. (laughs) It just feels like it's been a while. Now for worst moment, just as I said, there have been a lot of best moments in the season. I feel like I had just as many options for worst moment this season. Uh, I'm not going to go down the whole list because there's no reason to bring up some bad memories. So I will go with the doctor, as I already mentioned with Barnum, as a human shield against the mind parasite and the mind of evil and then his death at the end. I understand that it was a practical choice for the doctor using him as a shield, but it's just terrible optics in writing that for the doctor. That's very, very fair. I have a feeling that we might be about to hear some more of that. So Julie, (laughs) over to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For best moment, I have two. One's a little bit funnier than the other. I really like what I like to call the filer fight. (laughs) I just thought it was really good direction and it was just a really good scene and I thought it was really well done, especially for being in a really good episode of Claws of Access. So that's what I chose. My runner up is the chair eating McDormand in Terror of the Autons because he got eaten by a plastic chair. How? So and I just love it. I think it's fun. Worst moment is how CSO is used in Terror of the Autons in general. There were some really iffy choices there, and I'm just kind of lumping all that in. And the other one being the iguana image used (laughs) to represent a giant reptilian monster. I'm sorry, but that iguana was just sitting there chilling. Well, how is that scary? Iguana. It's fine. But yes, I'm trying not to do the Barnum bashing because I love him and I just don't want to keep talking about it. It makes me sad. What's interesting, I think, about that iguana image is that it's almost meant to be bad special effects because that's what it is in story. And I kind of love it for that. If they had chosen something other than an iguana that was just sitting there peacefully, I would agree with you. At least choose like a Komodo dragon or a snake that's actually like 
fighting somebody, then okay, that's fine. That's fair enough. Okay, Don, over to you. Best and worst moments. My best moments are, oddly enough, a tie, and they're both from the same serial. The one that makes me happy whenever I think about it is the master just hanging out in his limo, rocking out to (laughs) King Crimson. I don't know why. I just love that image. The other one from that same serial is when Joe and the Doctor have been taken prisoner, which never happens in a Doctor Who serial, and they're playing chess, and the master comes in and they shush him because they're playing that whole thing. I like that. That was a nice little character moment. The worst moment, there were some to choose from, which you guys have gone over. I think maybe it's, to me, the dragon in Mind of Evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not only because it's questionably represented, but also because I was never sure, like, why can they all see it? What is this group hallucination? It just wasn't clear as far as what it was. And it was kind of racist, too. So it's concept <laughs> and execution. Though. Yes. Yeah. My best moment, I'm going to say this in all seriousness, is Mr. Chin (laughs) casually eating a chicken drumstick. (laughs) (laughs) I really love that moment because it's just so wacky and I find it really charming in the story (laughs) and kind of like emblematic of just the incompetence of Chin. I really, really love that moment. In terms of worst moments, Julie, you took the words right out of my mouth, so I'm just going to say the terrible and unnecessary CSO in Terror of the Autons. (laughs) I don't mean to keep flogging a dead horse, but we talked at the time, they CSO'd stuff that didn't need to be CSO'd, and why? That was just such a questionable creative decision, so that's my nomination there. For our next category... We have Best Lead Actor, and we have nominations for this one. So this is any of our regulars. So for the purposes of this season, that's John Pertwee as the Doctor, Katie Manning as Joe Grant, Nicholas Courtney as Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart, John Levine as Sergeant Benton, Richard Franklin as Captain Mike Yates, and Roger Delgado as the Master. So at six different names, this is one of the longest nomination counts we've had for this category in quite a while. Riley, let's go. Best lead actor, Delgado is the master. The man just oozes charisma on the screen. And what is so interesting is that when his evil plans are effective, he has this wonderful, confident Bond villain air about him. But when his plans are falling apart around him, it is so funny because he is like a cat who like falls off of something, you know, suddenly panicked and trying to brush it off like it didn't happen. (laughs) It's a testament to him that being put into every single serial this season was a blessing because it would be very easy to criticize the show for having such a predictable plot element, but he just makes it so wonderful. Yeah. Julie. I mean, I have to agree. It's Delgado. He is amazing. Especially if you're going to say, hey, who's better, Delgado or Pertwee? Well, it's going to be Delgado. He has much more charisma and is somehow not a dick about it. And I don't (laughs) understand because he's supposedly the villain. And just because I'm going to throw a runner up in there and no, guys, it is not John Levine. (laughs) It's Nicholas Courtney. He continues to bring joy to my face anytime the Brigadier is on screen, especially when he showed up in bed that time. (laughs) You're welcome. Done. Richard Franklin is my... No, I can't do it. Um, Nope. It's obviously Roger Delgado. For all the reasons mentioned, he's just brilliant. Even when he's losing, he still manages to maintain his cool. He's not a raving maniac. And he's not a jerk. Just awesome. And for that matter, I completely agree with Julie. Courtney deserves a shout out as well. Well, let's make this a full run. I'm going with Roger Delgado too. For all of the reasons that everyone else has mentioned, I mean, he basically threatens to quite literally take the show from Partway. He becomes that kind of irresistible and impressive. So it's not going to be anyone else. Okay, next up, Best Supporting Actor. And as a reminder, this is anyone who was not nominated for Best Lead Actor. So, Riley, we will start with you. Oh, I hinted at this earlier. It's uh, Damaris Heyman as Miss Hawthorne in The Demons. She is delightful. A character with depth and humor. A great balanced performance. It is really a feat to play a character with such comedy beats, but also can be taken quite seriously. She absolutely nails it. I'm going to ask Julie and Don, the challenge is, are we going to avoid having a full house on this one? Julie? <laughs> Likely not, because I have to agree, it's Miss Hawthorne, Damaris Heyman. She is 
delightful. I love her. I would love to be like her and be that crazy lady running around. And she's the white witch. And that's amazing. I will do a runner up of Bill Filer, though, because I really enjoyed it. I know his accent was a little bit ridiculous. Don't care. He was a really good character for that story. So he's my runner up. To be fair on the accents, it's not the worst American accent we've heard to date on the show. No, (laughs) it's not. Okay, done. Knew it was going to be Miss Hawthorne all along. (laughs) She's awesome. (laughs) If only she'd had her own show. That would have been so good. I'm still saying it should have been her and John Levine doing a show. Yes, yes. Big finish. Do something. (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) And also... Paul Griss as Bill Filer as a very close backup. So fun. I don't even care if his accent's not perfect. Who's his? <laughs> We're agreeing way too much, guys. We are. This is the no controversy show. Come on, we need some conflict here. All right. I suspect we'll get there on some later categories, particularly when we move on to actually rounding up oh, our no. metrics and Don tells me to shut up. <laughs> shut up. There's your conflict. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we're, we're a full house on Best Supporting Actor. It's Damaris Heyman as Miss Hawthorne. I'm not sure there's a lot more I can add. She's just wonderful. And the double act she has with John Levine just warms my heart. But I do love the love for Bill Filer we've been getting here. <laughs> Next category is Best and Worst Villain. Again, I will read the nominations. So the obvious one is The Master for the full season. However, if you feel like picking him is cheating, our other options are... <laughs> The Nesting Consciousness and the Autons in Terror of the Autons. The Keller Machine in The Mind of Evil. Axos in The Claws of Axos. Captain Dent and the IMC in Colony in Space. And Azal and Bok in The Demons. Riley, over to you. I do believe picking the master here would be cheating, so... I believe the best villain is the Axos. They are disturbing, they are direct, and their motives are incredibly unsettling. They are so strong and effective that they've got the master beat at the start of the serial. They ain't no joke. The fake image they present is a classic element for a great monster. They are the wolf in sheep's clothing. I really, really enjoyed them. Worst villain would be the killer machine slash mind parasite. Compared to all the other villains in the season, this one was just very flat. And I might be unfair here because it could be argued that it almost isn't really a villain. It's almost more of a tool for the master or Harry Mailer and his goons in the jail. So I just thought it was uh, not well-rounded. Yeah. Julie? I am going to go with something different. So here we go. For me, the best villain was Captain Dent. Not the IMC, just Captain (laughs) Dent. And the reason is, is he is not a terrible boss. He is very strict, but he's to the point. He's very direct. He knows what he's going after. He goes for it and he is no nonsense. And it's refreshing to see that as opposed to those terrible bosses that we've seen in the past. And he's quite honestly terrifying just as a normal human. It's really good to see that in this kind of show you can still have one that's so terrifying as he is but worst i kind of have to agree with the keller machine and it could really not be the actual villain but that's also one of my weakest serials with mind of evil okay done i almost had something different once again like everyone else i don't think the master should count he's more of a through line for the entire season for the best i chose captain dent and the imc (sighs) Not only because it sounds like a pretty awesome 70s funk band, (laughs) because it was a very relatable human kind of evil, just pure corporate greed. And it wasn't for unlimited power or crap or anything like that. For the worst, I also went with the Keller machine. I think if they had stuck with the concept of it just being a machine that the master had created, I would have been fine with it. But once we got to the, oh no, it's sentient, and it starts blipping around the sets, it lost me. I'm like, oh, no, that doesn't really work. I thought about picking Captain Dent and the International Muzak Corporation. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I'm with Riley here, and I'm going to go with Axos. That deep voice that it has is really eerie, and then you've got that wonderful juxtaposition between the beautiful golden versions of the creatures and then the tentacle monsters. And add to that all the bizarre shit you see on their spaceship. I just think it's a really well-conceptualized and a really well-realized villain and set of monsters. I just really, really love it. 
And yeah, I'm going to be falling in line with everyone else again, (laughs) as I say, the Keller machine, because to Riley's point, it doesn't really feel like a true villain per se. It's a mind parasite in a phallic box. (laughs) So don't do it. I know what you're all thinking. Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's just not very effective to me. Yeah, I'm with everyone else. I don't really have anything more to add to that one. That's the problem when we all agree. By the time you get to the last person, I have nothing new to say. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, my personal favorite category, Best Director and the Richard Martin Award for Worst Director. Our options here are Barry Letts for Terror of the Autons, Timothy Coombe for The Mind of Evil, Michael Ferguson for The Claws of Axos, Michael Bryant for Colony in Space, and Christopher Barry for The Demons. Riley. Best director for me would be Christopher Berry for The Demons. Great atmosphere. Judicious, I believe, use of CSO. <laughs> Great job of shooting on location. Uh, just a wonderful job, but having a good script certainly helps a hell of a lot. Oh, and more stancers. Gotta love that. Anything with that, you know, you gotta give them some points for that. Worst director, also known as The Dickie. Thank you. <laughs> I would pick... Uh, Timothy Coombe for The Mind of Evil. I think he did a great job of shooting the prison, actually. I thought that was really well done. And for how the colors machines effect on people always visualized, with some exceptions. But I'm sorry to keep harping on this. The gunfighting, so much gunfighting. And even the shots in London on the streets, I don't think were very well done. I'm thinking especially of that awkward and really uninspired shot of Chin Lee, where she's going to the playground to do- and it's just, it's so basic and it's so awkward where there's trillions playing around and there she is acting like a automaton. And you're just like, why is anyone noticing this? It's so awkward and no style to it. So flat. So those are my choices. All right, Julie. Riley, can we just not do this? I'm going to try to throw some other things in there to spice things up. For Best Director, I'm also going with Christopher Barry. For many of the same reasons, the demons just from beginning to end has great atmosphere. You start off at the very beginning at nighttime in a thunderstorm in a churchyard. That's just phenomenal way to start the story. But I'm going to give a runner up to Michael Ferguson specifically for the filer fight because <laughs> I don't want to harp on it. But at the same time, I never questioned if the other person was fi- like which one was filer mm-hmm. and which one was his double. I thought they did a really good job of handling that because sometimes that can be really poorly done. And then for worst director, the Dickie, I'm actually going to go with Barry Letts and that bad use of CSO. That's a blanket statement for all of the Terror of the Autons. There were just some weird choices. And then I know it's probably more from a design perspective, but he could have put his foot down and not had those creepy things handing out daffodils. He could have said no, he didn't. So Barry Letts. All right, done. Let's hear what you're thinking. Okay, hide your shock. I am going for Christopher (laughs) Barry the demons for all the reasons said before because it's so nice and atmospheric and just a a breath of fresh air fetid air (laughs) from a crypt whatever you want to call it (laughs) i'm not sure if anyone really deserves the dicky but i'm leaning towards barry letts and much like julie said it's all because of the cso was that the one where we had the floating time lord or is that yes. a yes. Yeah, the floating Time Lord, certain shots with the creepy doll and the CSO. Mm-hmm. I know they had no other way to do it, but just weren't really convincing. I will say I kind of like the big headed flower guys because they were just <laughs> weird. I'm like, OK. Yeah, I think I'm with everyone on Barry Letts for Worst Director. And that is purely because of, as I said before, the terrible and unnecessary CSO. And what kills me about him is we know he's a good director. He did The Enemy of the World, which Mm -hmm. we know was really, really good. And then he pulls this shit. (laughs) Damn it, Barry. How dare you, sir? So Barry gets the dicky from me. Oh, my. In terms of best director, I am going to diverge from everyone else. And I (gasps) am going to say Michael Ferguson. I think The Clause of Axos is such a wonderful acid trip of a story where he does some truly weird and innovative stuff with it. I agree that Christopher Barry gives us a masterclass in terms of tension and atmosphere with the demons, but there's something I can't quite get away from with The Clause of Axos. Just how the spaceship is realized, the weird special effects like the revolving head, the way that he had to compensate for 
freak weather events during filming. The vagina doorways, just say The vagina doorways. <laughs> and then finally, giving us moments of such irreverence as, as I already said, Mr. Chin just showing up with a chicken drumstick. <laughs> I think the whole thing is just brilliant on his part. While recognising what Christopher Barry did with the demons, my choice is still Michael Ferguson for The Claws of Axos. And that brings us to the last of our categories, I guess technically the two last, which are for best and worst use of music. And I think this is going to be pretty interesting. <laughs> Riley, we will start with you. Best use of music would be some guy named Dudley Simpson. Uh, don't know about him, but he did great work on the Claws of Axos. I had a hard time finding one particular moment that stood out, but I do know that the psychedelic look of the serial fit in real well with his sweet, sweet synth. Worst use of music would be Dudley Simpson, that <laughs> bastard, again, for Colony in Space, because the only note I have for the music in the entire season was in this serial. And at the beginning of episode four, I'm not kidding you, quote, I wrote, the music actually mellows here, and I'm quite happy about it. So... <laughs> I'm guessing that the fact that I wrote that down, getting relief from the music means that I felt it was pretty painful. All right, Julie, I know that the music this season has been a particular pain point for you, so I'm curious as to what you come up with here. All right, so the best use of music is anytime a synth isn't used, and the worst music is anytime a synth is used. <laughs> uh, just in general. But seriously, best music, it's really a toss-up between the demons and Colony in Space. But I am going to go with Colony in Space this time. And like Riley, I looked back on my notes and I said that the music didn't offend me. So. <laughs> wow. Raving reviews. <laughs> and then worst music. It's probably Terror of the Autons. That's when it all really started. It hit hard. He just went out swinging. And I was like, mm -mm, nope, I can't do this. You're starting me in season eight with this nonsense. I can't. Those are my two. Okay, done. My answer is literally whatever Julie says, really. <laughs> I did try going through my notes to find any comments I had on the music. And the one thing I had that stuck out, and this was during the Demons, was a line that said, hey, that almost sounds like music. Which, <laughs> if they ever did release a compilation album for this, I think that's what it should be titled. <laughs> Nice. Well, I promise that it will get better, but not next season. We know he can <laughs> do better. We have heard him do better, but his synth is like audio CSO. He has a new <laughs> toy and he just wants to use it for everything. He's going for a new sound that was new at the time, but it just doesn't hold up. Terrible and unnecessary. I have two shout outs specifically for best use of music. Firstly, I know there's zero love elsewhere on the podcast for this, but I do like the synth version in The Mind of Evil of the jazzy unit theme from The Ambassadors of Death. <laughs> I am going to die on this hill. <laughs> That's one mention from me. And then the other one, and I know we commented on it at the time, and I even sang a little bit, is Pigbin Josh's theme from <laughs> The Claws of Axos. I'm so happy you did that. Which is so, so charming. <laughs> Who was that from the Claws of Axos? Pigbin Josh, the hobo. <laughs> okay, yes, the local yokel. Okay, yes. great. Because I, I was about to say, shout out to the yo local yokel, so thank you. <laughs> and then for me, the worst use of music is, all I've written down here is, most of the rest of the season. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to particularly pick anything out, but I'll go with Julie in that Terror of the Autons does stick out particularly, but it's been pretty bad throughout. So I'm looking forward to getting some more traditional music at some point. That brings us to the end of our categories. I will take us into a look back at our metrics first before we look at some of our scores. So there are two things I want to revise on this. And one is we did not give a plus one on the part we gun count to the demons. And I definitely have that in my notes. So retroactively, we're giving an extra one there. Oh, yeah, we were going to get some emails about that. I know. <laughs> And then we didn't give a shout out to it at the time, but I feel like the Claws of Axos deserves some camp count points, specifically mm. because of Mr. Chin and his chicken drumstick. Okay, you'll get one for the drumstick. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Julie's level of patience with me is steadily oh, wearing thinner and thinner. 
get on with it. That brings us to the Pertwee Gurn count for the season of seven and 11 in total for the entire series so far. A camp count of four for the season, three points of which came from the demons, which brings us to a total series count of 91.5. We had our first instance of the I'll Explain Later count since season three, and that brings us to a total of two for the entire season so far. And we got two quarries this season in Terror of the Autons and Colony in Space, bringing us total series quarry query to 12. That's the recap on our metrics. In terms of scoring, let's see. Don, your highest scored was the Demons with nine. And then at the lower end of the spectrum, you gave Terror of the Autons and the Mind of Evil a tied at bottom with sevens. So pretty small range there. Julie, you gave the Demons 9.5 and the Mind of Evil 6.5, as well as Terror of the Autons 6.5. Not a lot of love for either of those stories there. Riley, you tied the Claws of Axos and the Demons at 9 for top, and your lowest was the Mind of Evil at 4.5, which was the lowest (laughs) score anyone gave to anything this season. (laughs) We know you really hated that story. My hate is strong. And then my top story was The Demons, nine points, and my worst was Terror of the Autons at 6.5. Aside from Riley really slating the mind of evil, nothing here stands out as terrible. And that's kind of reflected in some of the story averages. Unsurprisingly, The Demons is our highest rated story at 9.13, and The Mind of Evil is the lowest at 6.25. And that gives us a total season average of 7.48, which when you look back at the other seven seasons we've talked about so far, is our highest scored season. And yet... (laughs) (laughs) And yet no one really likes the Doctor in it. (laughs) The thing here is it's just a bit more consistent than, say, season six. There's nothing quite as good as, say, the Mind Robber, but there's nothing quite as bad as the Space Pirates. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. I guess maybe the Demons is as good as the Mind Robber, but you get my point. It's a lot more consistent. Okay, with Don's least favorite segment out of the way, we move on to some of our questions from social media. Joseph Storb asks on Facebook, considering your discussion at the end of season seven about the new format of the show and its perceived limitations, do you think that season eight tried to think outside the box in terms of basic plot devices, alien invasion, mad scientist, etc.? Or do you think that giving the Doctor his TARDIS back on a limited basis like in Colony in Space was a sign of the creative team throwing in the towel on the entire Earthbound idea? Throwing in the towel. Basically, I think they realized they were too limited. They needed to branch back out and they didn't want to completely go straight back into galaxy universe-wide adventure So they're stepping back towards it. They knew they made a mistake and so they're going to go back. One of the things, though, was that they were trying to get, what, syndication, right? Yeah. So they did what they set out to do. They created a very consistent season. You could kind of jump in and out and it'd always be like something that you could recognize. And it was even recognizable plot points that have been used in British American television in general. To a certain degree, it's throwing in the towel, but it's also they did what they set out to do. And now they're going back to what they had been doing before. They also went with it for budgetary concerns. And I think once maybe they had a little bit more money and maybe they were a little tired, those kind of stories... You know, it was something it was always going to happen. It's not entirely throwing in the towel. Yeah. And I think when you look at it, the master's a little bit of a curveball, but you've got Terror of the Autons, which is fundamentally an alien invasion story. You've got The Mind of Evil, which is basically a mad scientist story. Then Axos is another alien invasion. We go off into space and have Colony in Space, which is basically giving us a Troughton or Hartnell era story again. And then the Demons kind of does the Silurian thing of the invading alien isn't really an invading alien because they're already here. And guess what? They played a part in our development as a species. I see some innovation here, but not a huge amount. You know what I mean? But hey, we didn't get base under siege. We did not. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, Rob Brogan asks, I think the casting of the wonderful Katie Manning as Joe Grant is the catalyst that makes everything else work in season eight. How do you think the season would have worked if Liz Shaw had stayed on as the Doctor's assistant? Should I go ahead and get started with this? Yes. Okay. Let's make it interesting, Julie. So 
as you all are well aware, if you've been listening to us for a while, I don't like how behind the scenes they thought of Liz Shaw. They thought of her as just playing second fiddle and that they needed someone who is dumber and someone who is not a scientist because apparently that's not good storytelling. So I have some personal issues with saying that Liz Shaw wouldn't have been good continuing forward. Now, if she had continued into season eight, that character would have been written very differently than Joe Grant was written. So it's really hard to say how she would have done because she wouldn't have been running around snooping quite as much as Joe has done. And there are certain things where she would have used her intelligence quite a bit more. So maybe she doesn't have as much empathy as Joe Grant does. But it's really hard to say that she couldn't have made it work. It's just that the character would have been different and the stories would have been different. And then I will go out and say that while I think the doctor treated Liz Shaw so much better than Joe Grant, and if they had at least had the doctor treating Joe Grant with any sort of respect, I would have been more okay with it. But that's the doctor's fault, not Joe Grant's fault. I'm glad you touched on that because that's all I could think of in regards to that question. Thinking about all these serials this season and if it was Liz... I would think that I would have enjoyed the season much more. And that's not because I don't like Joe. I really do like Joe. I just don't like how the doctor handles Joe. I enjoy the doctor a lot more with his relationship with Liz. There was a lot more respect there. I would have loved to have seen them handle the situations that were put forward here, especially with going to an alien planet. Yeah. And just thinking back to what Julie was saying about having to rework some of these stories. Liz would never have gone off to the plastics factory on her own and got hypnotized by the master, for example. And she would never have candidly run off to the crypt on her own in the demons, at least not in the way that Joe did without a plan. So I think, yeah, some of these stories would have had to be massively reworked to make it fit. And maybe you would have seen Yates as kind of the hothead who does that kind of thing. I don't know. (laughs) Who does anything? Yes. I think it would have been a very, very different season. I'm with you guys. I wish that the third Doctor treated Joe with the same respect he treated Liz, rather than just being a dick towards her. It also would have been very different because Liz's actress was pregnant. Yes. So I wonder how much of an impact that would have had on the writing as far as how they put her in the thick of the action. They probably would have sidelined her and shot her from torso up. Yeah. (laughs) And then our last Facebook question comes from Nicholas Rutherford, who asks, Given, as you say, and I agree, the third Doctor seems pretty unlikable. Indeed, I agree that he seems like a complete asshole at times. Why do you think he slash the show was so popular back then? And why does he remain the favorite of many fans and casual viewers who grew up with him? I want to say something, and I really don't want to do it. Uh, (laughs) Do it. So I have a couple things. One, it's the first in color. That's going to be number one. People get drawn to things that are in color. Two, just plain old nostalgia. Grew up with him. You're going to like him. He is charismatic. I will say that. And I'm going to say something that probably guys are going to not like me for it. But I'm going to say that men like arseholes because they can say... I want to be like him. So he's a very relatable person and people would be like, oh man, I would love to be him because he's always right. I mean, that's a good point. That's a very good point. It's probably an unpopular opinion because guys don't want to be like, oh, well, I I don't think he's that big of an asshole. Well, he is. I'm looking forward to the accusations of misandry in the comments (laughs) to this episode. I'm going to back her up on this. I think the third doctor is probably the favorite doctor of people who claim unofficially diagnosed to have Asperger's as an explanation to why they're rude to people when in reality they just don't have any social skills. Uh, okay. Let's, Notice, I, I, I agree. undiagnosed. Let's, let's, also, right. okay. yes. the color thing is true. Also, his stories exist. Yes. Whereas with a lot of the other black and white era, you don't really have that. And if you grew up with it, you just kind of accept him and that's fine. I mean, I would hate if someone suddenly started hating on their favorite doctor because of us. You know, like what you like, that's fine. But coming from a different angle, he tries almost to be like that gruff character, your Dr. House, your Sherlock Holmes kind of guy. But he never really has as many comeuppance moments. And he does it to everybody. And it just doesn't work for me. I like to think that he gets a little bit better, but I could be misremembering. It's been a while since I've watched my way through his era. We still have some time to go. It wasn't too long ago for me watching all of the third doctor and 
I don't remember feeling this way as strongly as I did. So I really do think he does turn around. And I agree with every, what everyone's saying, but he's not like Rick Sanchez here from Rick and Morty. No, he's no. completely <laughs> like the choice of all of America's assholes <laughs> to what no. they believe they are when actually they're more like the Jerry on that show than they are the Rick. <laughs> or um, the Yates in the show. <laughs> yes, exactly. They're, yes, exactly. We haven't finished him, so we are oh, f- no. all fair in our judgments up to this point from what we have seen. But I do think that he has more than an opportunity to turn things around for us. And you're absolutely right on all the other points he made. Everyone has, no matter what, the doctor that was their first doctor is always going to be the doctor that's going to be the closest to their heart. I don't think it's going to help that he's going to be sandwiched in between the second doctor and the fourth doctor because Troughton was phenomenal. And I've only heard very good things about Tom Baker. So I think that for me, I'm going to struggle with it because those are the two that he's going to be looked against. You know, looking at Nick's question, why do you think the show was so popular then? We have a pretty impressive and charismatic ensemble cast. Even if you look Mm -hmm. beyond the Doctor... We have Katie Manning, who has shown some flashes of brilliance this season, even though she hasn't truly been allowed to shine. We've given a ton of kudos to Nicholas Courtney and to Roger Delgado. Julie's fallen in love with Benton as a replacement to Jamie. And, you know, then Yates is just kind of there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a testament to the show. It's good scripts. It's good execution. For us to rate the season so highly, despite this very glaring issue that we have is like I said a testament to every other element to the show yeah and I think despite the accusations that we're pertwee haters we're not I hate this term but he's not really my doctor every time we get to a new serial I'm hopeful I Mm -hmm. want Mm -hmm. to be converted so I I don't just go into it going oh let's see how bad he sucks this time I don't do that I (laughs) want him to have those moments I want him to be the doctor for me so far it hasn't really happened but he's got like a million seasons to go And I'm hoping he can pull it off. Don makes a very good point here. And I think we mentioned this before in a listener question a while back. When we go into these things, the reason why we are so feel so strongly about this isn't because we're looking to hate. We love this show and we want to love the third doctor. We want to love you. It's like every episode we look at the third doctor like, help us help you. Come on. <laughs> we, we want to love you. You know, yeah. we really, really do. And every time we start a new serial, we feel, all right, this is a chance. This is a new opportunity. Let's go. I think what's particularly interesting here, and to that point, Riley, and the other points made about how well executed this serial is, arguably the third Doctor is at his worst in The Demons, and yet every single one of us rated that as the best story of the season. And that comes down to the direction, it comes down to the rest of the cast, and it comes down to the storytelling. It comes down to Miss Hawthorne. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. It's remarkable to, to see something like this happen where... Everything about this show is really good. There was just minor issues here and there, minus, you know, the treatment of one poor gentleman. (laughs) And how do you have this show that we can talk bad about it so much, but then it's our highest rated season and everything is really, really good. It's not that we don't like Pertwee. Pertwee is doing a phenomenal job in acting. It is how they wrote the third doctor. That's the problem. Yeah. Here, here, here. And our next question comes from Beardo Beatnik over on Instagram. Hey, Beardo, who asks, have you all warmed up or cooled off on Pertwee in season eight versus season seven? So that's a nice segue from our previous question. I think we've probably stayed about the same. I will reiterate, I enjoyed how he and Joe were in Mind of Evil. I think they don't know how to write him in regards to a character like Joe. They handled him a lot better with Liz. So about the same, but with issues. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty accurate. I want to say that I'm a little bit more disappointed because of his treatment of the companion, especially since Joe is so nice and, again, empathetic. And she's always wanting to do the right thing. And he only degrades her for it. So in a lot of other aspects, I've liked some of the other things that he's done. He's made some great choices. The interaction between him and Delgado is phenomenal. But I just really can't get past how he treats Joe. Yeah, I'd say I'm about the same, but I live in hope. (laughs) And I really hope that that hope, well, that's a lot of hope, is fulfilled (laughs) next season, Don. 
We shall see. Yes. Next up, we have more of a statement than a question, but I'm curious to hear everyone's reactions to this. Stu Gutteridge says, Pigbin Josh, the series has to be made. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Well, unfortunately, it has to be a backstory. (laughs) R.I.P. I know. I I like the idea that maybe Axos reconstituted him before they got sent into that time loop. His own series, no, but he can be a recurring character in the Bill Filer series. Yes. The Filer Files. Yes, the Filer Files. Files. Yes, hands down. Mm -hmm. I like that. Our good friend Custer Barusa on Instagram asks, how did this season compare to season seven in terms of political serials? I think they're not as political. Obviously, there are political overtones, especially in the colony of space with consumerism, uh, capitalism, and all of that kind of thing. But Demons really doesn't touch on it at all, other than like small town politics um, on, <laughs> on just having the leader be kind of crazy. But no, I don't see as many of those big overtones as we've seen in season seven. But that's my opinion. There's less Quatermass to rip off, so there's fewer political <laughs> elements. I feel to your point there, Julie, it's almost subtler. So you think about Mind of Evil, and there's obviously commentary on capital punishment clause of access, consumerism and nationalism. And then, as you said, colony in space, we start talking about corporatism and what we'd probably call late stage capitalism. But I don't think it's quite as blatant or as overt as season seven. Well, season seven, we have the Silurians, which is a topic that I will not talk about on any social media. (laughs) It's on social media. And the Ambassadors of Death, where we have moral duty. (laughs) And... (laughs) Other than fascism is bad, totalitarianism is bad. That's about the only political point I can pull from Inferno. But you're right. I feel that because there's more serials in season eight compared to season seven, there's more of a variety of topics, but it's not as in your face. I also think there were fewer political characters as well. You know, you had your generals and you had your top down officials that they were always having to go back to. And in season eight, they kind of just skimmed over that and were just like, okay, Brigadier, you make the decisions. There was no like higher ups around. So many, so many world peace conferences. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think aside from the peace conference, the only other overtly political figure is my boy, Mr. Chin. (laughs) (laughs) Legend of politics. Peace through chicken in our time. (laughs) (laughs) I will still stand by that if they need to do some sort of George Lucas reconstruction, they need to give him a plate of nachos when the Axos attack. Uh, Sadly, since the season eight Blu-ray set is already out and they chose Terror of the Autons for new CGI effects, I think we'll be waiting for that for a long time, Riley. And then last but not least, our very good friend, the Whovian Gal, again on Instagram, asks us, where would Delgado rank among the new Who Masters for you? So I guess we're thinking John Sim, Michelle Gomez, and Sasha Dewan as the Master Missy and the Master, respectively. Okay, I will try to tackle this. I've already mentioned my love and enjoyment as Delgado as the Master. (sighs) It's almost completely a different character, much like how the Doctor can have a wide variety, uh, depending on who plays him. He, he's more of the a true psychotic Simmons compared to Delgado, where I referred to before, is much more like the classic Bond villain. As Don was saying, in the back of a limo, he might as well be stroking a cat while he's coming up with ideas and plans. And Michelle Gomez also ties into that psycho-ness as well, but more of the psycho Mary Poppins with a delightful feel. <laughs> well, if it's not Delgado, it's Jonathan Price or nothing. But apart from that, <laughs> Michelle is quite good. She is. Michelle Gomez is quite, quite wonderful. So I will say on that topic, I think I'm the only one on this show who has seen Don's Jonathan Price Master cosplay. Oh my and God. And it's outstanding. All right, well... Back on topic. Hey! Uh, <laughs> Rude! <laughs> You're welcome, Don. One of the other guys. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think it's going to be fairly similar across the board. Delgado is obviously, uh, he's stellar. He's phenomenal. But Michelle Gomez does a really, really good job. And especially with revitalizing it and being that quote, first being a woman and everything and making that decision and choice. I don't hate 
Sims. I know a lot of people do. A lot of people have problems with his master. I don't mind him as such, but he just doesn't have that same presence as Michelle Gomez or Delgado do. And the new guy, he's so new that I can't make a lot of commentary on him yet. So I think my ranking of the ones that we've had with Delgado and then the new series masters is probably Delgado... Sasha Dewan, Michelle Gomez, literally everyone else who has ever played the master or ever <laughs> will play the master, John Sim. Wow. Wow. Yeah. For me, they just got his character so wrong in making him this manic psychopath. And that was never the master for me. And you don't see that with Missy. You get a little bit of it in Sasha Dewan's master, but they temper that with some of the suaveness and the menace that you see in Delgado and then later with Anthony Ainley in the classic show. For me, John Sim is just so far off the mark. I just can't believe you have Sasha Dewan ahead of Michelle Gomez. I'm just shocked by that. I think my problem with her is they did that whole redemption arc, which I didn't like. I like the master being a bad guy. I like the master okay. being evil. And the whole redemption thing just didn't quite work for me. The way she portrayed the character, I thought was outstanding. Well, that's what we're judging here. It's yeah. not how things are written. It's the actor. Well, I think that has an impact on the character, though. So she did great with the material she was given. But overall, that impacts my enjoyment of the character. I love a good redemption arc. Yeah, I'm sorry. me too. Especially like, because at least in this incarnation of the master, he's only partially evil and he really seems to be just mainly wanting attention. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a crush on the doctor and yeah. he wants to be, yeah, that's, that's basically it. I mean, we can agree to disagree on that. That's no, fine. you're just wrong. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we got our conflict. We got it. We finally hit there. Thank you. The Whovian gal. And that is what we call closure to an episode. It is indeed. We are out of time. That brings us to the end. This has been really enjoyable. We will be back next time when we kick off season nine as the Doctor's arch enemies are back for the first time in five seasons with Day of the Daleks. But in the meantime, thank you very much for listening. And as always, have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Peace Through Chicken in Our Time, was recorded on Wednesday the 27th of October 2021. If this is your first time listening into the show, all of our previous episodes are available wherever you like to get your podcasts. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at @watchers4d, and you can also email us at watchers4d at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and consider leaving us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, eating a chicken drumstick in a meeting is the ultimate power move.